Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to an episode of Curious K Podcast. And it's a very beautiful day, like in Lagos. And I'm very excited today because we are having a very interesting conversation uh, with an amazing founder. And as you know, Curious K Podcast is a show uh, where we have good conversation with startup founders, ecosystem enablers, and everyone working to make entrepreneurship thrive on the continent. And on today's episode, uh, we have the honor uh, to have Dari Dumadi, uh, who is the founder of Check It. And Check It is a company that develops and fake solutions to provide consumer intelligence and supply chain tracking services, goods, electronics, automobile, and pharmaceutical producers. And the essence of this is that you're trying to ensure security and insight uh, into this product by leveraging blockchain technology and artificial intelligence. So thank you, Darren, for joining us today on Curiouscape Podcast. Hi, hi, Colabo. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time out uh, to be on the show, Darren. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Can you just give us a brief about your background uh, in entrepreneurship? I know you founded Startup a couple of times before Check It. So can you just share uh, more light into that? Sure, sure. Um, so, yes, Check It is more like my third venture. Um, I've tried this two other times earlier. Uh, I've been doing this for about 10 years now or more. Um, started off really, I mean, even before I you know, really decided to go into entrepreneurship full-time. I started off really looking at, in, in the younger age, younger years, I when I was like 13, 14, there about, I started looking at softwares or platforms like the Nimbus, MiG33, and all these other apps, even Facebook, that we could use on Symbian phones as at that time. Um, and I was interested in understanding, you know, how the software was written, and you know what the software were built on top of. Um, I was very curious. Uh, I mean, uh, to understand the concepts and also understand how how software companies were cashing out in the U.S. Uh, because at this time there were a lot of um, I was seeing a lot of publications about young folks who were doing things or changing the landscape as regards uh, um, software technology. So this really really piqued my mind then. Um, so I did a lot of research, did a lot of, um, I mean, even though I, I was always looking to, to study something in the oil and gas space uh, to make some money in, from university. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, but my intention was really to, to learn this oil and gas stuff, make some money in the oil and gas space, quit, and then find a software, found a software company, right? That was always my, my plan. Um, I tried to do that, but it didn't work like that at the end of the day. <laughs> so, um, so fast forward to, to when I went to university, uh, you know, I, I got the chance to, from right off the bat from university, I started off my first company, right? So I went to study geology at the University of Ibadan. It was at the University of Ibadan that I founded the first software company, which was more like a social network for the university, kind of like a Facebook, but tailored towards students and lecturers interaction, right? And uh, before this time, I had trained myself on website development, um, using different tools, even learning from my mobile phone at the time. 
Um, so, so this, so this pulled me to to start up something from university. Uh, this social network from university, you know, we got about thirty thousand students signed up at the time. Um, but during the time I was leaving university, I decided to uh, switch from running that platform to to building something else. Um, so I, I developed something in music streaming, um, which was about 2013, 2014, um, just about the time when WhatsApp started. Um, I got an idea that, oh, what if we combine WhatsApp and a streaming platform together? Um, so sort of like a, a Spotify and WhatsApp, you know, put together. Uh, and then, you know, I built this out uh, as an MVP and um, got to a thousand monthly active users, right? Um, fast forward to about 2015, 2016, uh, where we then got an offer from 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 a, a major label. Um, I don't want to say the name of the major label, from, from a major label that, um, you know, agreed to give us the entire catalog to stream in five African countries. Um, we also did the same thing with another distributor called Fuga Technologies uh, to distribute about 3 million tracks in the same five African countries. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very cool experience, but, you know, nevertheless, the entrepreneurial journey is always a roller coaster experience um, in the fact that, you know, in this, during these days, I wasn't making so much money. And these models or these business models I was developing were, were more B2C inclined um, so which means that they needed to be critical mass uh, before i could start generating substantial revenue from the from the service um, um, which didn't really didn't really cross plan right because there was a need for funding to to be able to get those get that critical mass um, so somewhere between 2017 2016 and 2017 uh, i got into the MEST program in ghana uh, um, where i where I went to learn more about software entrepreneurship and also learn more about um, software development generally, um, and also basically the business of software. Um, so it was a very lovely experience and it was more like a turning point for me. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, it was a point where I decided to, to start check it. Um, but when I look back at, at my journey, um, I see that you know what I did was intentionally go to university to study geology, which was directing me towards the oil and gas. Uh, but just before I finished university, I already told my mind myself that you know, Dari, what you planned to do originally, which was to get a job in the oil and gas, make some money to start a company, would likely not happen um, because you know there are a lot of people graduating school and a lot of people waiting out for jobs in the first place. So the reality was just, was just better for me to create my own job. Um, so that's the, that's the angle I decided to go with um, instead of going with the initial dream. Uh, but I mean, it was definitely a worthwhile experience. And uh, I mean, I've not looked back ever since, <laughs> since I jumped into the entrepreneurial journey because it's really what I love to do. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Th thank you. Thank you for sharing that story, Diary. So I'll just want to back a bit, like your first your first venture, right? So how did that end? What skill did you build that company to? Uh, was he, I mean, was it successful beyond your imagination? Did this startup fail? Uh, what were the lessons for, from building, uh, I mean, your first venture or your second venture? And maybe you can talk a bit about, about, about MEST. Uh, interestingly, yeah. I mean, the last episode I had featured Shego uh, was yeah. also 
yeah, an ex-student of MEST. So, I mean, yeah. I actually yeah. did not know that you went to MEST. So, I mean, it's just very interesting to see this trend in terms yeah. of uh, how that is helping build them. That's right. That's right. I mean, so talking about the first startup, um, so Strictly UI, as it was called then, um, failed. You know, I could say it failed. However, we learned a lot of lessons and we are also able to, you know, as far back as then, this was like 2010, 2011, we were able to listen to the users and iterate, right? And even pivot, more like. Um, so the venture started off as a, um, as a social network, networking platform, where students could connect with each other and also connect with lecturers um, to have like off, off, off campus or off classroom discussions, you know. Um, but we realized that students were mostly interested in gossips, right? Students were mostly interested in having, having uh, the latest news about the latest boy that bought the latest car in the school, uh, you know, the prettiest girl who's dating the prettiest girl in the school. In all of this, all of this um, uh, um, youthful uh, interest was what was uh, the major interest of, uh, of the users then. So we decided to pivot the platform into a blog. Right, so it became okay. a blog. Yeah, it became a blog, a news blog, basically, where you had like the latest news about the fights happening in the hostel, you know, <laughs> about several other stuff. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but I then decided to, to leave, uh, leave that company uh, for my co-founder to continue running. Okay. Yeah, my co-founder, of course, continued running it. And then it got to a point where, because the platform got so big um, that it, it had about 30,000 students on it. Uh, and even till today, um, the Facebook group of Shukulu UI still houses like the largest community of, of, of UI students um, till today. Um, so what my co-founder did was more or less build around that platform to, to launch what is now called the, um, the Ivory King and Queen, uh, which is more like a beauty pageant um, of the university, uh, which I think is still ongoing. Um, yearly, you know, where where students basically vote for you know prettiest or most handsome um, students to to win the prize and got a lot of sponsorship as well. Um, so yeah, but I, I I just had the mindset of doing something bigger. Um, at the time, I didn't see the platform scaling beyond UI. Uh, firstly, because the name already you know informs that strictly UI. It sounds like it's going to be difficult to even change the name to something else that can house other universities in Nigeria. The, the platform grew to become more like a, a source for, for beauty pageants contestants, right? So um, it became more of a, an online platform that supports uh, an offline beauty pageant competition, um, which, which still happens, I think, to today. I'm not sure, but I think it still happens in the university. Um, uh, but one of the major facts is that the, the Facebook community of Strictly UI houses, you know, the largest UI University of Ibadan student community to date, right? Um, which which is very uh, interesting for for us, right? Um, but for me, I decided to leave and um, try something else uh, because I wanted to do something uh, something bigger. Something I had, you know, I had that uh, appetite for something much larger, and I saw the Strictly UI platform um, not not going beyond the University of Ibadan, even because of the name, right, strictly UI, uh, and also because of the, the, the foundation of the, of the setup in the first place, right? So, so I decided to move from that to start something else.
All right. All right, Dari. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk about Check It right now. So at what point uh, did you start building Check It? And what was like the aha moment? I mean, why did you think that was yeah for you to to build on at that point and to start building? What, what was the identified and why did you think i mean this is the right time for me to start building this yeah great question so to start with uh at the time that's about 2017 2018 um 2017 primarily i haven't had the experience of building platform or building software businesses in the past i wanted to put my skill towards something that i felt could have more more impact right uh, on people particularly people in africa um, i felt there was it was time for me to create a solution to a, a problem that that affects a lot of people you know i wanted to put my tech skills or my business skills to something much more tangible that could actually show impact uh, in people's lives to a large extent um, so during my time at mess in 2017 um, i met with a bunch of friends really awesome people and one of them is a pharmacist um, that also became like a software engineer. And she had had the experience, she had had the experience of seeing a patient die as a result of counterfeit anti-malaria medicine, oh. right? Um, oh. Yes. Uh, and this patient died of ruptured kidney because of the active fake ingredients that was in this medicine. You know, that moment, that really touched me. That, that I felt like, oh, this was definitely something I should look into. Uh, during that time as well, there was a lady that came for a session at MEST and she had this really cool idea about um, a QR code that you can scan to learn how to use a medicine, how to use a drug. Uh, but it had, you know, it, the idea was very, very, very foreign. Let me put it that way, because um, the way you've been learning how to use a drug would be with a video, which means firstly, you have to have a smartphone, um, which already cuts out almost... Um, uh, 60% of Africans, right, uh, of the market size that, that we could that we could add, uh, that we could reach. So I wanted to build something much more local, something that could be easily used by anyone, even in the most rural area, in the most remote areas. Um, so I saw this as a real challenge in terms of the problem of counterfeiting, the problem of um, supply chain inefficiencies, and I took it upon myself to to find out and to dig deeper do some research, dig deeper to really understand what the cause of the problem was, where it started from, and what needed to be done to fix it, right? Uh, and what was already being done in the market. Um, so I started to do a lot of research, started to organize my peers to actually go out on the streets in Ghana then, uh, in, in East Legon, to actually speak to people uh, around the area that are close to pharmacies, neighborhood pharmacies, to understand you know, what's, what is top of mind for them when they, when they walk into a pharmacy to buy a product, right? And what we discovered was um, a typical, typical African, a typical man, doesn't necessarily care or bother to, to even check if the product that they're buying is authentic or fake. Oh, he's expired. Or he's, oh, yeah, exactly, or he's even expired. <clears throat> the interest for them is, you know, when I take this medicine, will it work for me? You know, if it doesn't work for me, I'll likely throw it away, go back to the pharmacy and take another brand of the syndrome. You know, so take, for instance, you, take a, you, you go and buy an anti-malaria medicine, you pop the pill, 
first two days or three days it didn't work um instead of going to a doctor to even even get a prescription first you know uh, even get a diagnosis first you would go back to to the pharmacy neighborhood pharmacy and ask the pharmacy tell the pharmacy oh the last drug you gave it didn't work i don't know why it didn't work probably it's not maybe my malaria is too strong you know do you have another brand that is stronger than the other one of course the pharmacy will say yes and give you another brand you know that's that's that those were like the most common responses we got from people you know so that that you know prompted a light bulb in my head that look there were already sticker labels on product at this time from other companies but people were not checking the sticker labels people just trust the neighborhood pharmacies and the pharmacies oftentimes stock up to 40 percent 30 percent counterfeits in their stores right because and they make more money from the counterfeits and they know this. Do they know they're actually doing that? Or is it like intentional? Oh, they are stocking up this counterfeit? Yeah, some of the pharmacies do it intentionally because they know that you know, this is cheaper than the initial supply they get it from. Um, some actually do it out of negligence, uh, not being aware that this is actually counterfeit. Uh, but most, most pharmacies that actually do it are well, are well aware that you know, it's substandard um, to the original product. Right? But oftentimes it happens in most neighborhood pharmacies, right? Um, so you, you would see that most consumers don't bother to check products. You know, we just walk, we just want to use our body as a litmus test. Um, so that, that gave us the, uh, the opportunity, or we saw the opportunity that, look, why don't we create a system that would incentivize people to authenticate products? And then on the flip side, the system also provides sort of a return on investments for brands who use the system. You know, so that was what we did essentially, right? So we looked at what was already existing, you know, labels on products already, but people were not checking these labels largely. So we decided to say, okay, let's let's do it, let's do it this way. Let's put sticker labels on products, but on top of those sticker labels, we're gonna state scratch, verify, and win. Basically, communicates to the brands, to the consumers directly at the point of purchase that, look, if you scratch this label and verify, you stand a chance of winning something. And to our surprise, that actually worked well, you know, nice. up to the point where we saw over 60% authentication rates as compared wow. to what would happen before when it was just less than 10% authentication rates, um, which also tells you that, you know, people want to be People want to be incentivized for what they are purchasing, for what they are spending on, on their purchase. Um, so we decided to go with the route that, okay, for every five checking labels that a consumer verifies, he gets a hundred naira airtime instantly credited into his phone, you know? But in the process of authentication, we would ask some survey questions. So you dial the short code or you scan the QR, you would see that the product is authentic. You see the product's information. You would also see the expiry dates of the product. Uh, but you can also take a survey to win a reward. So if it's answer yes to take the survey, the survey questions will pop up. Now, these survey questions are tailored or created by the brands uh, based on information or data they want to capture together. So these survey questions are then preloaded on the system with options. So you would see option A, B, C, D, depending on the number of options that the brand wants. Um, so once the survey question pops up, the, the all the, all the consumer needs to do is just answer yes or no by clicking one or two on the on their basic feature phones over ussd or 
um, tapping the answers, the correct answers on the mobile application. Now, we, we, are, we advise the brands to, to ask not more than three questions uh, because the attention span of a consumer at the point of purchase isn't more than 20 to 30 seconds. Um, so, the, which, is, which is the time that we try to key into to capture this data. So, after asking the survey questions, the reward is given to the consumer instantly, which they get as an SMS, letting them know that, oh, you've won one loyalty points, two loyalty points, three loyalty points. Uh, and then at five loyalty points, you get an airtime instantly, right? And that is sponsored directly by CheckIt. So we sponsor that ourselves, right? Now, the, on the flip side then, the brands in the FMCG space or the pharmaceutical space, particularly pharmaceuticals, um, would get insights, insights to better understand what their consumers are saying about their products, how they feel using their, after using their products, um, what challenges they had when, buy, when buying their products, probably the price, uh, probably the distribution, not the product not being available in their area. You know, so we've actually helped brands discover, discover things, discover data or discover insights that they could have never discovered before. You know, so it became, it became a no brainer for the brands as they see the value to continue using the solution, um, for their products. And also the consumers see it also as instant value as well, in the sense of getting something back for the product that they purchase just for answering, just for answering some survey questions. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that that's that's really amazing. And I just want us to also step back and look about uh uh the funding aspect of the business, right? So how was it for you starting out? I remember you mentioned MEST. Did you start this after leaving MEST or it took a while? Then how were you able to raise funding? I mean to build a technology. And if you can also lead us to the process of acquiring your first client or your first customer, uh, onboarding your first businesses on board, I think it would be interesting to uh, to learn that from you. Yeah, Colin, I mean, this is a very interesting question. And this is one of the most, this was like the most interesting part for me when starting this business. Um, you know, based on my past experience with, with starting a software company, I... I'm going the B to C route. I wanted to change that and go to B and go the B to B route, right? Um, and that's what I did with Check It. So I, in my mind, I already had the concept. I also had the skill or have the skill of um, user experience design and user interface design, um, as well as software development. Um, so I decided to build out the, the MVP product myself, uh, but focus more on the user experience, uh, making it clickable and. Um, uh, the visuals were also apt for, for the clients to see, to understand the concepts and all of that. Um, so that's what I did first. Uh, and did this right after MEST. Um, so I completed the MEST program um, with Check It as the venture out of MEST. Uh, didn't take MEST funding, um, but then moved on to build the idea out myself um, with a team here in Nigeria. So I came back to Nigeria in August 2018 and I decided to start building out the solution. Um, so what I quickly realized was I wanted to build a B2B and I wanted to build a solution that can finance itself, right? Uh, oh. Meaning that, yeah, meaning that, you know, I wanted to start making money from day one. Um, so when we started off in October, we closed our first client deal in December, right? Amazing. Yeah, and this happened- I okay 
And you had the technology live at that point? Yes. Yes, yes. We had the technology live at that point. Um, so what I did was, so immediately I built out the UI, UX of the products. Um, I started speaking with marketing agencies. And I had a very, you know, I met someone who was very cool, who runs a marketing agency just around the same space I was working in. So I was working at the Mest Hub at the time, working from the Mest Hub at the time. And this person was also working from the Hub. So we got talking, you know, I realized that, yes, the best avenue for me to use to capture clients, because I didn't have any particular relationship with any FMCG or pharmaceutical business um, that I could walk up to directly. And it was always difficult. It's always difficult to get that top decision maker uh, uh, from that company because you wouldn't, you wouldn't even be allowed to enter into the company if you don't have an appointment, right? Um, so I knew that what I needed was introductions. So, and the companies that have this access to these companies were primarily marketing agencies. And marketing agencies, yeah, marketing agencies were doing something similar to what I was doing, which was um, I was offering the brands access to customer data right access to customer insights aside the counterfeiting or anti-counterfeiting part uh, was primarily access to customer data now uh, the the interesting thing is the the marketing agencies already sort of do this for for the brands by um you know marketing creating marketing campaigns for them uh, but i already saw the the loop was or the gap was that the gap was that these uh, marketing agencies could not you know get insights directly from people who actually buy the products that they are marketing they could get insights from facebook from online social media platforms but how do you know if that person who is talking about the product on social media has actually bought that product mm -hmm. right the person could download a picture and send a picture you know so we we went in so i spoke with this person and he was like oh yeah this this is great this is something that he could offer his clients so he got me a meeting with his clients uh, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, noodle-producing company in Nigeria. Um, so we got into a meeting with this with this client. Um, I showed them the clickable prototype. So it was a clickable prototype for us. There was really no code behind it. It was just probably primarily the UI, but it was clickable, so it felt like the real product. So I walked into the meeting with the clients, um, you know, explained the solution, showed them the dashboard, showed them what the mobile, the, the USSD process would look like, and there and then, the, the client bought into the idea almost instantly and was even asking how much. Well, um, so, yeah, the client wanted to know how much it was to purchase the platform. And we're not selling the platform off. Uh, we are licensing it so we could license it to you. Um, so we had an agreement with the, with the clients, signed it, agreed on the POC, and the clients paid. I hired an engineer. I built out a solution. Deliver for the clients. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing, I like that. <laughs> the development clients within the time, you know. So, so yeah, I mean that's and ever since then, you know, it's been more of a business that's continued to finance itself um, from sales, right? Um, then down the line, you know, so we we started raising grants from 2018 to 2019, raised grants up until 2020. Um, so we raised grants from. Um, amazing bodies like the Merck Global Accelerator, uh, that's a Merck pharmaceutical company in Germany. Uh, we raised grants from Facebook Accelerator. Um, we raised grants from um, from also the ARM um, events and also Tuna Limelu Foundation. So we just kept on raising grants uh, and also continued to sell the business uh, to clients and kept making money from that. So we, like I said, from the start, I wanted to build something that could finance itself.
And that's what happened. Um, so up until uh, last year, we're primarily raising grants. Um, but this year, we decided to, you know, bring in uh, people that know how to grow companies bigger and faster than, than we do. So we brought in VCs, we brought in angel investors, and we then did a, a $500,000 uh, pre-seed round uh, earlier in the year, about middle of this year. So I think about five months ago or four months ago, uh, we closed our first pre-seed round of $500,000. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what was the process of, because now you have numbers, right? You have paying yeah. customers, you have some grants. So was the process of raising the pre-seed, was it like very fast? Yeah. What was that process like? I mean, so we, I can say we closed the pre-seed in about three months. Um, so it was more about preparing before starting. Um, so what we did was, uh, you know, put all, the, all our documents together, created a data room, um, created a data room index that could give investors direct access to whatever document they wanted to find in the data room um, to make due diligence super easy uh, and straightforward. So it becomes easier for the easier and quicker for the uh, investors to make a decision. Um, we spoke with a bunch of investors over time. I mean, we've spoken, been speaking to the investors since late 2020. Um, also, I mean, the, the, the major thing was that we did more of a soft announcements within our ecosystem uh, within okay. people that i know people that know me uh, people that know other investors you know i did a soft announcement to them letting them know about the fundraise uh, and we also had the opportunity to, to pitch at the uk tech hub virtual um virtual uh, pitch events um in 20 i think that was in march or february this year so it was actually from there that we started seeing a lot of interest Angels uh, from syndicate funds, from VCs um, that joined into the into the round. So we basically, we basically, you know, firstly got our term sheets from, got the first term sheets from Japan Strategic Capital, uh, and from there on, we decided to start. Even we decided to even now, you know, create the term sheet, create the terms for all the other investors to come in. Um, so we basically sent our term sheets to other investors that were interested, and we raised on a safe. All right, amazing. I think that that that's cool. And uh, so, what 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 can you say? I mean, like, was unique in terms of what you were building compared to competitors? Do you have other people building similar products uh, in in Nigeria? Yeah, I mean, so firstly, we are the first Nigerian indigenous um, anti counterfeiting solution, Nigerian founded anti counterfeiting solution, um, and also serialization product or platform um, every other service providing something similar doing something similar um, like if you go to a pharmacy now you see some labels with scratch off panel on them most of these companies are, are founded or owned by you know foreigners uh, people that are not nigerians um, from other parts of the world but of course they, they've they've been in the market earlier uh, and they've of course tried to solve this problem um, from different angles which which has definitely given us more like validation about the solution that we wanted to develop as well so but, but our solution what makes us uniquely different is um, the fact that one the codes that we generate are locked on the blockchain network um, as an extra um, layer of security to ensure that you know um, duplication of these codes or even ensure that um, employees and staff cannot go and um, supply these codes to to a counterfeiter on the side, right, um, without it being tracked. 
so we do that. Um, but also we we also enable consumers to give feedback to brands um, through the authentication process, which you have a patent for. So what we do is we basically ensure that um, after the consumer authenticate the products, uh, the survey questions and the answers provided and the reward provided are all part of our solution, part of Check It Solution, which is a unique which is a unique selling point, which provides the brands with insights and knowledge about what consumers are saying about their product or what they are doing with their product. Uh, we've moved further developed that um, into develop our consumer intelligence platform, uh, which is basically a platform as a service into three major products. You know, one is the anti-fake, which is what I talk about mostly, which is the sticker labels uh, for authentication with the surveys and all of that. The second is insights, which is, which is basically um, a complete software as a service product that is tailored towards the FMCG brands, the consumer goods brands. Um, how that works is that on top of the platform or on top of the platform, the brands or their marketing agency can create a digital campaign instantly on the platform. And this digital campaign um, can be deployed as a web link, which is, which is now going to be saved on a QR code or on a USSD short code. And then this QR code and USSD short code are printed directly on the product package, and then consumers can engage with them directly. Um, so consumers can scan or download the USSD short code to arrive on a microsite. And then from that microsite, we do the data capturing and also the reward distribution to the to the to the consumers instantly, all as a software. Um, so that's more tailored towards the pharmaceutical, towards the FMCG businesses. Uh, and lastly, we have the retarget feature, which is more of a product that um, is a is a spin-off of both the anti-fake and the insights products, meaning that um, the data or the consumer data, like phone number that we collect and the consumer demographics that we collect are housed on this retarget platform that enables the brand to send periodic SMSs or bulk SMSs and bulk survey questions to, to consumers um, through, you know, as SMS or USSD push notifications um, that the consumer can then answer um, to receive rewards or just to give feedback directly to the brand. Um, so all of this is, you know, the products within the consumer intelligence suite. Um, so we've we've gone past um, most of the most of the arrangements of what the competitors were doing to focus to do more on the consumer intelligence side, and also a lot more on the consumer engagement side, um, which which is different from what our competitors are doing. Um, so this this basically is like the complementary end of of the check-in solution, uh, because the the goal for us is to create like an end-to-end -end solution. Um, that acts like a complementary ERP solution, uh, meaning that our solution can plug into ERPs like SAP and track product journey from the point where they leave the warehouse till they end up with the final consumer. Basically, mm, interesting. That means. Uh, so some of these features you've been able to build, were they like feedback from the customers or you were just trying to paint the picture for the businesses like, hey guys, this is what you have to do. And they were adopting the solution. Yeah. So um, from the onset, right, after looking at the, you know, when we saw the problem, uh, we decided to really dissect the problem, like look at where the problem was really coming from, the problem of counterfeiting, product counterfeiting. And what we noticed that the problem was primarily around supply chain inefficiencies, 
um, as well as consumer awareness, right? So what we did was firstly solve, solve the problem from the consumer awareness point of view first, because it was easier to do that, uh, and then subsequently creates other solutions to enable supply chain efficiencies, right? Um, so I could say that from the onset, we had like an end-to-end -end map in our minds of what we wanted to do, um, but we decided to go, you know, incrementally, right? We decided to start with one future first and then, you know, continuously develop other features, other products that are complementary um, to, the, to the initial product, um, which is what we've done. Um, however, we also tailor that to customer feedback, right? So based on customer feedback, we are able to further polish or better polish these solutions um, to fit into what the customer really wants or needs, uh, and also aid or basically design a distribution pattern for, for the solution. Um, so yeah, customers have, customers' feedback and customer uh, engagement has given us better ideas on how to build the solution that we had in mind from day one. Let us talk about uh, the industry, right? Uh, I mean, the tech ecosystem in Nigeria, a lot of investment has been going to, to the fintech space. Right. And uh, uh, so what industry can you call the space you're playing? And how do you think uh, investors are like uh, investing in that space? Yeah, so um, the space we are playing in is primarily the health tech space or also called the healthcare space. Um, but we, but we, we kind of border between healthcare and enterprise software. Um, but the, the interesting thing about um, building solutions for enterprise and also for healthcare is the fact that money is also involved. So which means there's a FinTech element to it as well. Um, so I think also, you know, we need to start to understand that um, the idea of FinTech it's not just a payment solution mindset, right? Um, yes, there's a lot of funding that's gone into payment solutions, into payment processing companies and all of that, um, which are called, you know, in general, fintech businesses. Uh, but I think financial technology um, goes beyond just money transfer or payment facilitation or loans and all of that. Um, I think it, it also still borders to to customer engagement and customer interactions, as well as even tracking supply chain. Um, because at the end of the day, right, um, these products moving through supply chain or ending up in the hands of consumers um, are also transactional, right? Meaning that the consumer pays money to acquire this product. Um, the same way the supplier would pay money, or sorry, the distributor would pay money to the supplier to acquire the product, which then moves through the supply chain. So my point is there are fintech elements to all of this, right? Um, so I feel that investors that really understand the market um, look beyond um, the bubble of financial payments or payment solutions and look at other, other industries or other sectors that are like neighboring around financial, if the interest is really around finance, is really around fintech or just fintech, um, the opportunities in the logistics space, the healthcare space. And you'll notice that um, the trend in recent times have been, there have been a lot of investments going into logistic companies as well as healthcare businesses in recent times. Um, of course, yes, we know that the payment solutions or the fintech companies, as we say, of, get the majority of the funding. However, we've seen a lot of funding also going to logistic companies 
as well as healthcare companies in recent times. And in terms of in terms of brand adoption, how has it been like? Uh, 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 there are a lot of beverages company. Uh, uh, in terms of adoption rate and penetration rate of this solution, I mean, what can you what, what's your general uh, idea overview in terms of what the adoption level is right now, or what can still be done to deepen adoption? Does it require government policies? Yeah, in terms just to to create a safer environment for for everybody. Yeah, I think for sure it it, it requires two things, right? One is um, ecosystem support from businesses, companies that see this solution as a way to to make their processes even better, right? So there is a FOMO that most of these businesses face when they see that you know top companies. Um, two or three of the top companies are using solutions like CheckIt. Um, everybody wants to jump on uh, jump on such solution. Uh, we've seen something like a like a spike happen in demand. I mean, we get we get a lot of inbound demands or requests for our solution from brands, um, and this happened as a result of COVID. Um, even though that's you know even though COVID really had a lot of negatives, um, it had it had its positives as well, and I think we we benefited from the positive end. Uh, which was more like uh, brands began to see that, oh, I can't run, I can't run an open market campaign as I used to. You know, I can't gather people together and put a boss there and put people dancing so that everybody can come and gather around and then I'll sell products to them. I can't really do that during the lockdown. So brands were beginning to think around, okay, what are the other digital means I could use to reach, you know, a large mass of consumers and still run promotions with them. And, and check it was top of mind for most of these brands um, because that's exactly what we do. Um, so we, we basically create our venue for brands to be able to reach out to their customers or consumers digitally, right? Anywhere they are, um, especially customers that are actually buying their products. So using their products as the contact or the engagement points, which is, which is superb for most of these brands. Um, so we've seen brands, you know, coming to us directly for, for such a technology, and we, we envision that this system, um, this digital means of tracking consumer promotion feedbacks or, or basically reaching out to consumers digitally through a product package, is going to be the new trend uh, in the coming years, right? Um, so most brands definitely uh, would want to catch up with that. Um, also, the, the other thing I feel that would the ecosystem really requires is um, partner, partnerships either with very large ventures that are doing similar solutions. So take, for instance, what we, what we really leverage is ensuring that we have, you know, really big partners. Um, so we partner with big companies like Merck Pharmaceuticals, um, not just from the client's point of view, but also as a supplier for security features and our labels, right? Um, so basically we have a bilateral relationship with Merck where they supply us uh, with coded chemicals for our sticker labels, and they also buy labels from us. Um, we've also partnered with businesses like SAP um, to integrate on the SAP platform for um, for advanced track and trace for pharmaceuticals, um, which means our codes can be printed anywhere in the world uh, on any of the 100-plus pharmaceutical companies using SAP's HTTP solution, um, which, which to us is distribution and skill, right? Um, so these are the, these are the major levers or engines that we try to fix or pu put in place um, to 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 aid the scale of the solution, so to drive adoption as well. 
Um, but there's no way we can do all of this without also having collaboration with the government. Um, so government policies also, yes, need to be tweaked, need to be created to enable um, easy integration of technologies like check-ins um, into highly, highly regulated ecosystems like the pharmaceutical space. Um, I mean, we've seen, we've had several discussions with the NAFTAC team at different levels um, to, to further see how we can help out with this realization um, um, policy that NAFTAC is trying to put in place um, and aiming to happen by 2025. So we, we have basically positioned ourselves as, a, as an industry standard for product realization in Nigeria, in Africa even in the Middle East. Um, and also uh, the, the uniqueness of our products realization is that with our service, consumers can also engage with these brands that serialize their products. You know, so it's an added advantage for brands to actually follow the path of check it to serialize their product. And also it becomes like a win-win scenario when when bodies or regulators like NAVDAC say every pharmaceutical products must carry a serialized code. Um, instead of the brands to think about it as just a cost, uh, as an added cost, um, it can be seen as an investment when they partner with a company like CheckIt, uh, because then they get a return on investment via the consumer data that they tend to accumulate when they have, you know, CheckIt codes serialized on their product. So, of course, these are the three major angles. Again, I'll, I'll reiterate. So, governments, policies, um, you know, ensuring that CheckIt is at the forefront of products realization, which is a standard that NAFTAC is putting in place now. Partnerships with, you know, really large ventures that are complementary in the value chain, in our value chain, you know, so ERP providers like SAP um, that work in pharmaceutical businesses. And then lastly, you know, working with as many brands as possible, being, being on platforms where the brands can easily find us and work with us. Um, so, I mean, in the early days, we're not doing a lot of marketing. Uh, primarily because, especially on the consumer side, primarily because our targets were businesses, right? So what we leveraged was introductions to these businesses um, through our personal network, right? So we get someone who knows the top head of a particular business to introduce us to that person. And then once we have that leg in, and once we do a demo of the solution, um, we always see that the, the client is always interested to engage further. Um, I don't think we've had any conversation with any clients that, you know, said, oh, this doesn't look interesting to me. I'm not interested. Um, we've always had, anytime we get a, an opportunity to pitch the solution to, to a business, um, the marketing team or the supply chain team always sees an interest in our solution um, for their processes. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of, okay, how long does it take us to now close the lead, um, which is where the challenge is. Uh, for enterprise businesses such as what we run, uh, it can take anywhere between three months to six months, in some cases, 12 months, to close a very big deal. And um, um, I would like to talk about like adoption in rural areas. How, how has that been like? Because I remember you mentioned the USSD part uh, yeah. of the market you wanted to capture while developing this idea. So what has been the adoption rate like in the rural areas, in the villages? You know, yeah. what has it been like? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you for sure, right? One thing for sure, right? Which is that um, the check it solution in terms of in, when you look at authentications, right? So we've had authentications and then we've had response to service. 
in terms of response to service, we've had over 300,000 response to service. Now, of these 300,000 response to service, about, say, 80 to 90% of that volume comes from USSD, right? Uh, that's to tell you that a bunch of consumers are actively, you know, they find it much easier to authenticate products via USSD, via offline means, right? And when we look at the mobile application and the areas where we recorded mobile application authentication, because on the mobile application, it's much easier to be able to see, you know, visibly locations, even up to the streets where people are verifying products from. And we've seen a lot of people verify from the rural areas as well on the mobile application. I mean, we've seen, I can, if I look at the dashboard for one of our clients right now, uh, we would see people authenticated from, you know, villages in Ibado, um, villages, villages in Akwai, in Akwaibo, uh, you know, rural, rural places um, where you wouldn't expect to have, um, you know, interest from consumers, but we've seen consumers authenticating from this from these different markets regions so yeah we we have we get we definitely see our solution as a as an easy to use um especially on the ussd side easy to use solution for for brands or for consumers rather who are who are staying in, in rural areas so i can see if I'm, I'm looking at the as a matter of fact i'm looking at the the heat map right now on one of the customers um uh, dashboard and i can see i'm zooming into uyo uh, and I'm saying that areas like areas called Idu, Idu in 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 Uyo, um, definitely has had a couple of authentications on the mobile application. Uh, on the USSD side, I'm sure a couple has happened there as well. But because we can't track location on USSD, uh, we don't know exactly where those authentications are coming from. But we do know we do have contact information of the consumers who are running the authentications. Amazing. The role of this essentially is to is to reduce count, right? And right. added layer for customers or for brands is more customer engagement. So in terms of that impact, uh, what, what what can you say about it in terms of uh, discouraging all these counterfeiters? Because they know check it is there now, so yeah. it's not business as usual again. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the goal for us is to see how we can reduce counterfeiting, especially for pharmaceuticals, to about 70%. Uh, reason being that pharmaceuticals easily would cost, can cost lives, right? Over 100,000 people die in West Africa yearly as a result of counterfeit anti-malaria medicine. Now, anti-malaria medicine is in high demand because malaria is like an every month sickness for people in this part of the world. Um, it's so regular, so basically the volumes of this drug is super high, right? So for, for us to see, to really see that impact, what we are really targeting is to have at most 70%, you know, reduction in counterfeiting in Nigeria. That's the goal for us, right? That is, that is the number that we are targeting. Now, you might say when we get to 70%, you know, um, reduction of counterfeiting in Nigeria, would we still have a business? The answer is yes. Reason being that uh, we are not just an anti-counterfeiting technology, we are more of a serialization and consumer intelligence solution, right? Meaning that we help brands to serialize their product, which is a continuous effort to track and trace, basically reduce or remove chances of counterfeiting, um, which is 
an ongoing activity in the developing parts of the world to date, uh, even though they've reduced counterfeiting to almost net zero um, in those markets, in those developed countries. But still, product realization is continuous, right? Because it's a continuous process. Um, the product realization helps the government, the central governments, to have like a central repository that has the codes of all the unique packages of all individual packages that are entering into the country. So which means at the point of dispensation, at the, at the pharmacy, uh, when there's a check at the pharmacy, there's a, there's a check that also goes into the central database because there's a connection between the POS service that the pharmacies are using and the central database of the country. Um, and there's a check, you know, round through to, say, to check if the ID on the product or the pack has been initially authenticated on that dashboard. If not, then it's, then it's of course marks as an original product because it's existing in the dashboard. But if the code is not existing in the dashboard, it is flagged as counterfeit and the report is sent automatically to the central repository system. Uh, the same similar thing would happen if the code is already been scanned before at another pharmacy. The next code is basically flagged as a counterfeit. Um, so so this, this is the kind of standard that we are trying to develop for for Nigeria, for countries in Africa generally, um, to, to see that possibility where we can work with governments to, to create this infrastructural technology um, as have been done in developing countries and check it can aid that process pretty easily uh, based on our, uh, our key relationship with, uh, with partners like SAP and other and access to, to, to key manufacturers that are distributing or importing into Africa. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really the goal for us. Uh, in the long run. Like I said, consumer intelligence also is a continuous value value added business uh, business case, right, where consumers are able to constantly engage with brands and give them feedback. So pharmacovigilance, drug adherence are, are things that will be continuous, right, as brands will always constantly require knowledge and insights to better understand how people are reacting to their products. Um, uh, market research, R&D is one of the uh, one of the areas that gulps the most capital in most of these pharmaceutical businesses. And R&D is not complete without having that patient's uh, pharmacovigilance or patient data to better understand, you know, how are, uh, how are people reacting to my product in the mass, you know, so, so they can better improve on that and also use that to, of course, increase their, their sales and outputs as well. So it's more of a win-win situation in the long run. Great. So do you have like uh, businesses outside of Nigeria using Checkit? Yes. Um, so we, we had launched in Afghanistan um, some months ago. Uh, we have launched in Afghanistan. We had recorded over um, uh, 100,000 product authentications in Afghanistan uh, just before the Taliban took over. As a matter of fact, we were working with the government, uh, the former government of Afghanistan. Um, and then we had um, gotten to a point where the government was interested in, in distributing check-its to over or extending check-its countrywide, you know, nationwide, to over on over 200 million pharmaceutical products. Uh, you know, that was, that was a big deal for us uh, with one of our partners. Um, however, that deal went off the table as, uh, as the Taliban took over the government. So what, what is your plan for Check-It in the next five, 10 years? Where, what do you think the Check-It would have made, I mean, in, in the next five, 10 years? I mean, if next five, 10 years, uh, we expect Check-It to be a household name, 
um, where consumers can easily identify with the products, um, identify with it as a source for, for, um, for, you know, access to genuine products, right? Access to products that, uh, as check it as that as that tool that gives them clarity and identifying counterfeit products different from original products. However, we are also targeting to be the leading software for distribution tracking, for products distribution tracking. Um, so imagine software that tracks um, product journey from warehouse with RFID tags um, throughout the supply chain until it gets to, uh, to, the, to the pharmacy, then to get to the final consumer. Uh, we want to be the leading software provider for that, for that tracking, for that track and trace uh, activity. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really vision for us to be a global leader for product distribution tracking technology. Amazing, and uh, I must say, I mean, thumbs up to the great work you're doing with your team. Uh, so, what would you like to tell us uh, as roundup? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say. Um, firstly, uh, the audience listening to, to the podcast, I think this podcast is definitely awesome um, to, to spot, you know, innovative ideas in Africa that will change Africa um, for the better uh, and also change our processes to become a lot more digital inclined. Um, so you should definitely keep listening to Kira's K. Um, I also want to say that um, there's a lot of opportunity to solve more problems on the continent. Um, so founders, um, you know, with great ideas to definitely keep staying committed um, because consistency is what can help you get from zero to one and then from one to one million. Um, consistency is what makes it happen. So thank you. Thank you, Dari. I mean, it's really been a conversation. I mean, I've learned a lot about what you're doing, the opportunities and the impact. So and thank you for taking out the time to, to be with us on the show today. My pleasure, Okola. I mean, it was a good time chatting with you as well. Uh, I had a good time chatting with you. Even though the network was just uh, trying to give us nightmares, but I think we're just <laughs> <a> fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, Great. Great work, right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, thank you, Dari. So thank you, everyone, for uh, to the show. That's Dari Dumadi of Check It. And... If you enjoyed this episode or you know someone who prefer to share the episode so people can learn for the ecosystem in Nigeria and across Africa. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>